tonight is a night that I've been waiting for. Tonight is a night that I've been looking forward to for a really long time. Tonight is the last night that I have to worry about that annoying elf on a shelf. Any other parents out there? (laughs) My goodness, boy. Can I get an amen? Like, it's the last night, right? For those of you who don't know what the Elf on a Shelf is all about, let me just enlighten you for a second. So the Elf on a Shelf is a, a stuffed little elf uh, that basically just spies on you through the month of December to find out if you're naughty or you're nice. That's kind of the way it works. And so, so essentially, uh, every morning you wake up and the elf is found in some other different position of the house. It's going to be, it's always doing something either fun or like silly or mischievous. And uh, as a parent, that's just a, that's a lot of stress to have to deal with every single day. I'll just say uh, I'm ready for a break from this elf, seriously. But I get it, right? I, I get it. I understand the, the uh, idea here, right? And the, here's the, the concept. Santa, who right, rewards like through the way he gives kids who are naughty or nice, he needs to know what's going on. So he hires these annoying little spies to come to your house. Find out who's naughty or nice, and then they go back and report that to Santa. So that's the way it works, right? And, and I get that. That all makes sense, okay? But here's my issue with this. Santa needs to do a little more reading in his Bible, because honestly, he, he's wasting a lot of time and money by even going through this whole ordeal, because very clearly, if Santa read Romans 3, this is clear. We all are on the naughty list. All of us. Romans 3 says this, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's standard, we've missed the mark, Uh, we fail, we're all naughty. And that includes me, and I'm a pastor. Like, I'm just going to be, I'm keeping it real tonight. Uh, I am not always very nice. In fact, there are times where I can be a a downright jerk. It's true. You don't have to ask the elf, ask my family. They'll tell you. (laughs) They'll vouch for that. And I was thinking through as I was prepping for this message, you know, just just wanted to be honest, thinking through moments where I failed over the last year, and there were plenty I could pick from, but one that kind of stood out that I just want to share with you uh, happened this summer. So this summer we went on vacation. We took a trip to Virginia Beach. We drove there. And you would think that on vacation, right, everybody's having fun. It's a family vacation. Dad would be in a good mood and he would be nice. Not necessarily the case. What happened in Virginia Beach is one day we're at the beach, which is beautiful weather, and you know things were great, conditions were great, but we're at the beach, and I'm there, and my son, uh, he comes walking up to me, and I, I notice right away something's wrong. He's kind of like limping as he's coming up to me, and I can tell by the look on his face he's in a lot of pain, and he comes up and he goes, hey, Dad, I think I got stung by a jellyfish. Now, in that moment, I was very compassionate. I get that. Like, that stinks. So I was like, buddy, I'm so sorry. That, I'm sure that hurts. I'm sorry, bud. But, you know, that should, feeling should go away in a little bit. It should, you know, you'll be okay in just a few minutes, okay? So just hang, hang in there, right? And so he walks away. Five minutes later, he comes walking back up to me. Oh, he's limping again. Dad, it, it still stings like the same. Like, it still hurts really bad. Now, this time... Right, a little less compassionate. I mean, there's still some compassion, but I'm like, oh, yeah, sometimes it stings for a while, bud. I get it. I get it. But, you know, if you just go back in the water and put your mind on something else, you'll be better in a little bit. So just think about something else and, and you'll be fine. I promise. You're okay. So he goes away. Five minutes later, he comes up again, limping, like same thing. And by this point, I'm kind of like, all right, like, I feel like he's kind of being a baby. I'll just be real. Like, I'm like, I know, I'm sure it hurts, right? But like, 
he like keeps whining and we're at the beach and I don't want to hear my son every five minutes come up to me and whine about this jellyfish. And so uh, I do a classic dad line, right? I'm like, I'm sure it hurts, but I say that, but I, I said this, I said, dude, like walk it off, right? <laughs> Any other dads out there? Like we say that, right? Or, no, just me. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Leaving me hanging. Yeah, we say that. And so, you know, I thought in my head, right, he's got to toughen up. He's got to be a man. Like, sometimes things are hard, but you know what? Walk it off, but we power through it. You'll be okay. Like, this is kind of my mindset. Here's the thing. Uh, I didn't realize at the time. I realized that when we all got back to uh, the condo, and my my son then realized that uh, the jellyfish was still in his swim trunks. Like, in the mesh, you know, the it was like in there stinging him repeatedly like that's why he was in so much pain and you like and you can't really walk it off when the jellyfish goes with you you get what I'm saying so here I am right in the room and I'm just feeling like a complete failure of a father like such a jerk zero compassion you know I wasn't at all I was just harsh with him and this is a perfect example of who I am deep down like that's me that's me I'm a I'm a jerk sometimes my life It's filled with flaws and failures. But you see, here's the thing. So is your life. Your life is the same way. We we all are. In fact, it's been that way like since the beginning. Since the very beginning of the Bible, right? If if, if you ever opened up the Bible and went to the first chapter in Genesis, you see God creating everything. In chapter two, he creates humans. Chapter three, right? We realize right there how much of a mess humanity is, right? God gave one rule in the garden, just one rule. And guess what? They broke it. They broke it. And from then on, this whole pattern of failing and sinning and missing the mark, it just permeates the rest of the Bible. Every book of the Bible is saturated with sin. You get to the very next book of the Bible, Exodus. And what happens? Well, this group of people are are, are growing up uh, and, and becoming a big, great big nation, right? And so they're all, the humanity is just, you know, growing and advancing. And there are all these different nations. And God chooses one group of people from one family, the family of Abraham. He chooses one group of people. And God sets his face toward them in love. And God says, hey, I've chosen you. Uh, I'm going to make a covenant with you, promises with you, uh, that you're going to be my people and I will be your God. In fact, uh, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you my law, right? I'm going to give you a set of commandments that you are to follow. And, and, and if you obey those, like you'll be blessed. And so God gives them the law. Here's the thing. He gives them these commandments and they can never keep them. Once again, they break the rules. They don't follow through with what God commands. And this law, which was good and holy and righteous, right? It, it, it was a good thing because it revealed God's standards. It ended up proving to be a curse, because nobody could keep it. All the law really did was reveal how sinful human beings really are. The truth is we are all, all sinful. You don't need an elf to tell you. It's clear. We've all missed the mark. We're all full of failure. In fact, if you were just to take a couple minutes right now and open up your phone and go on your newsfeed and scroll, I guarantee you'd get really depressed real quick. Why? Because the world is screwed up. We, we live in a world that's full of pain and turmoil and conflict and brokenness. Our world is marked by division and deception and greed and corruption. Right now, things are so bad that as I look toward the future, like I don't know exactly how it can get much worse than now. I'm raising my kids in a world, and it scares me to see everything that's transpiring. And if you're raising kids too, it's scary right now, isn't it? Yes. 
The world is broken and messed up. We are one, the human race is one big dysfunctional family. That's what we are. And there are times right, where I just wish that somebody would do something about it. That with everything going on in the world, with things so broken, that someone would intervene and do something about all this chaos. I, I wish that would happen. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like, that just, it would be so great if someone would do something. Here's the thing. And this is the good news. Someone has done something. In the midst of the brokenness, someone has already done something. In fact, this is what the Christmas story is all about. God has done something at just the right point, through just the right person, for just the right purpose. God has done something. He has done something incredible, and we're going to see for the remainder of our time here exactly what God has done. And if you want to see this with me, I invite you, if you'd like, to open up your Bibles with me. We're in the book of Galatians uh, this evening, Galatians chapter 4. Now, I want to let you know, you don't have to, you can follow along on the screen. We're covering two verses, but if you want to see it for yourself in the Bible, that's fine. Galatians is a book in the New Testament, so the New Testament is kind of near the end of your Bible. The last quarter of your Bible is the New Testament. You get the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, all longer books. Galatians is smaller. So you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go backward if you get past that. So Galatians is the first kind of small book in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 4. We're only going to look at two verses this evening. Uh, but in these two verses, which were written by a man named Paul, who was a follower of Jesus in the first century, he wrote this letter to a church in a city called Galatia. And in this letter, Paul is revealing to us the true meaning of Christmas. And this is what it's all about. In the midst of a broken world. God has done something. He's done something at just the right point, through just the right person, and for just the right purpose. And this is going to serve as our outline. We're going to see as we go through these two verses. So the first point I want to start with is at just the right point. What has God done at just the right point? Well, Paul tells us in verse four, notice how he begins. He says this, but when the fullness of time had come. Now, as I think about that intro, I, I want to just say, you know, something I've already mentioned, right? When sin entered the world, things started to spiral. We know that. But despite the fact that the world is one big, humanity is one big dysfunctional family, God never gave up on humanity. Uh, he never gave up on his creation. From the very beginning, even though humanity failed, God began to enact a rescue plan. Uh, he started making promises right from the very beginning that one day he would send a deliverer. One day he would send a savior who would rescue us from this broken world. And generation after generation who heard these promises of God, they trusted in God and believed that one day God would send someone. And the promises talked about the fact that this one person would be a king, that this person would be the anointed one. They would be the Messiah, that they would come and repair all the brokenness in the world. And even when things were tough, and things got tough. You read through the Old Testament, things were really, really difficult. There was a remnant, there was a group of God's people who despite the hardship they were facing, they trusted in the fact that God knew what he was doing, that God would be faithful and that God would deliver on all his promises. They believed it even in hard times. And I just want to throw this out there for you who are here today, especially those of you who maybe this is the first time you've come or one of the first times you've joined us 
you know, life is hard. You may be in the thick of a, a really difficult season of life. Maybe it's a marriage issue. Maybe it's just some family drama. Maybe there's stuff with your kids, maybe problems with work, or maybe it's just right, anxiety, depression. I don't know. But you may be going through a really dark season, and we're prone in those seasons to believe that when things are really hard, that maybe God is just distant or absent or indifferent to our pain. Maybe he doesn't just care about it. Sometimes we go there in our mind, but I want to remind you and just tell you from the bottom of my heart something I believe with with all my heart that's very, very true. I see it in God's word. I see it in my own life. Even when it feels like everything's falling apart, God is always there. He's always moving always working, and he's always bringing his creation somewhere. God has a plan. God has a plan, and he is faithful to fulfill all his promises. And this remnant in Israel who believed in the promises of God, they saw firsthand after years and years of waiting for God to bring his promised deliverer, his promised savior, his promised Messiah at just the right time. God orchestrated all these events in human history and he brought them to an apex, right? Just like a conductor, he brought all of creation to one great big crescendo and God did something at just the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God did something at just the right time. And so the question we have is, what did God do at just the right time? Well, Paul continues and he tells us, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, I want these, this sentence here, right? The, the second half of verse four, it is just so rich with theology. I don't want us to be lost on what Paul is telling us here. It begins by saying this, that God sent forth his son. Now, one of the things that maybe we don't quite always remember or understand or grasp about the Bible is, is something that I think I want to clear up right now. Do you know that Jesus Christ was not created on Christmas morning? The Son of God was not created on Christmas morning. He is the eternal Son of God. Jesus has always existed from eternity past. He was there. In fact, Scripture says that all things were created through him, through Jesus. He is not a created being. Notice how Paul says he was sent forth. God sent forth his son. He sent him. He stepped into human history and God sent his son, Jesus. And where did he send him? Well, notice the next part. God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. You see, God sent Jesus here. Jesus took on human flesh. He clothed himself in humanity. He made his dwelling among men. This is what the essence of the Christmas story is all about. God become man, Emmanuel, God with us. This is it. Now for the people who were waiting for the promises of God to be fulfilled, this shouldn't have been a surprise to them. This should have been expected that God would send a deliverer who would be born of a woman. In fact, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first promise, Genesis 3.15, was this to the woman. That because of sin, right, things are going to be hard. Things are going to be broken in the world. But this was the promise. One is going to come from you, Eve. The seed of the woman, the offspring of the woman, one who's going to be born of a woman is going to come, who's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to crush and and claim victory over the forces of sin and death forever. So Jesus had to be born of a woman. That was the promise. That was the expectation. He had to be human. That was all part of God's plan. He is both divine. He is the eternal son of God. And yet he is also fully human. He's born of a woman. 
He's the God-man. This is who Jesus is. Fully God, fully man. But that's not all. Notice how Paul adds one more thing. Not only was he sent forth and born of a woman. Notice how he was born under the law. Now remember, God gave a law that nobody in Israel could keep. They couldn't do it. Try as hard as they might, they all failed. But Jesus, who was born from that same lineage, that same family, the people of God, born under the law, he was part of the covenant people. He is the only one who under that law was able to completely keep all of God's commandments and expectations. Nobody else could do it, but Jesus alone could do it. The truth is Jesus is the only man who's ever walked the face of the earth who shouldn't be on the naughty list. Like he is the one. He was perfectly righteous. And so in this one verse, we see the divinity of Jesus. He is God, fully God. We see the humanity of Jesus. He's born of a woman. And yet we also see the righteousness of Jesus. He was born under the law, but perfectly obeyed all of God's commands. And if any one of those one things was taken out, if he wasn't fully God or wasn't fully man or wasn't fully righteous, then he wouldn't be qualified to be savior. But Jesus had all three. He's fully sufficient to be the Savior. He's the only one who's sufficient to be the Savior of the world. No one else is qualified, only Jesus. So right after seeing that God did something at just the right point, through just the right person, we have to ask, what then did Jesus come to do? Well, Paul, he makes this clear for us again. He answers the question. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I want you to know that God did not send Jesus to just become a baby in a manger. That was not the end of the plan. That was the means to a greater end. God sent Jesus, who was a baby in a manger, so that way one day he could grow up and be a man on a cross. That was the plan of God. Jesus came to die, to suffer and die in our place, to give us hope and forgiveness and new life. Jesus came to absorb the wrath that we all stored up for ourselves because of all our imperfections and failures and flaws, all the things that we've done. We've earned for ourselves judgment, but Jesus took our place. He bore the wrath that we deserved upon himself. That was the price of redemption, the blood of God's own son, Jesus. He came to redeem those who were under the law and the curse that they were under. This is what Jesus did. And then after Jesus died on the cross, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree, it says. After he died on the cross, three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And he defeated death itself. He won a decisive victory over the serpent. Jesus is now alive and he offers us new life by grace through faith in him. You see, the reality is when you look at the world, when we look around us, we see a world that is messed up. We, the human race, we are one big dysfunctional family. We are. But despite our flaws and failures, the hope of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to not only redeem us, but then to adopt us as sons into his family. This is the hope of Christmas. Can you believe that? God loves us so much, even though whatever family party you're going to go to after this, probably dysfunctional, right? Because we all are. He loves you so much, even though you're dysfunctional, he wants you to be in his family. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? He knows from apart from him, we have no hope. God sent Jesus 
for just the right purpose to redeem us and to adopt us into his family. This is the hope for a broken world. And you know, I know how tonight goes. I know that um, for some of us, this is checking a box. Oh, got to go to Christmas Eve, did that. Okay, we can move on to everything else. Let's get this out of the way so we can focus on Christmas. And I know, right, lots of kids in the room. You're excited. Maybe you're going to go somewhere tonight and open up a present or two or something like that. Maybe tomorrow morning, right? You have a hard time sleeping tonight, but tomorrow morning you're going to wake up early. You're going to run down under that tree. You're going to be able to open presents. You're excited about all the gifts. And, and you know, this is the point of the service where people usually say Christmas is not about gifts. And I would say, no, it is. It's about a gift. And for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus bore the wrath in our place, Jesus, who suffered and bled and died for us to redeem us and then adopt us into his family. It's the greatest news the world has ever heard. And I just want to say that for a lot of you, maybe right if this is a box checking thing or something like that, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you are missing out on the greatest gift this year. You're just missing out. I I, I want to just encourage you to examine your life and to think, man, in the midst of a broken world, what am I clinging to? What am I hoping in? If you're somebody who is just trusting that things are going to get better, you're going to be drifting on a rocky sea for a really long time because newsflash, the world was broken a long time ago. It's still broken now and it'll be broken in the future. But there is one who's come into humanity and he's reversing the curse and he promises hope and new life. He promises the hope of heaven complete restoration of all that's broken. I mean, there is someone that you can cling to, a gift that you can hold on to that brings stability and hope and comfort in the midst of a broken world. And so I want to challenge you to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe on Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, to worship Jesus Christ, to honor King Jesus as your King and Lord. I want to encourage you to do that tonight, to receive the greatest gift the world has ever known. And so as I wrap up, I just want you to know that, you know, we look around, we see the problems. We see the brokenness that surrounds us, but the message of Christmas is a message of hope that we have a God who's done something. He has done something at just the right point through just the right person for just the right purpose. And this is why we gather to celebrate. We gather to celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior who came to rescue us. We gather to worship here and honor what God has done for us. And we get to join the chorus of all creation and cry out, Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to a newborn king. Let's pray. God, you are so good to us. You are so good to us. You sent us your son, Jesus. And to think about the fact that God, that you stepped into humanity, that you took on human flesh, that you made your dwelling among us so that you could suffer and die. Man, what grace. We don't deserve it. 
We didn't earn it, but we know that you freely give it to us. And so we're so thankful for the gift of Christmas. We're thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we want to trust him and follow him for our lives. And so just thank you, Lord, that in the midst of a broken world with so many hearts right now that are feeling burdened, that are filled with fear, anxiety, Lord, I thank you that we have something we can cling to, something that's firm, unshaken by the world, fixed, kept in heaven for us. I thank you for the hope of salvation that we have. Through your son, Jesus, and through him alone. It's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.